Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Great Canadian Gaming Corporation Investor Relations Third Quarter 2020 Results Conference Call. At this time, all lines are in listen-only mode. Following the presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. If at any time during this call you require immediate assistance, please press star zero for the operator. This call is being recorded on Wednesday, November 11, 2020. I would now like to turn the conference over to Terence Doyle. Please go ahead. Thanks, Chris, and good morning, everyone, and welcome to Great Canadian Gaming Corporation's conference call to review the company's financial results for the third quarter ended September 30th, 2020. Joining me on the call this morning is Rod Baker, the company's chief, chief executive officer, and John Russo, the company's general counsel and chief privacy officer. I would like to remind listeners that the latter portion of this call is reserved for institutional investors and analysts. Any media-related inquiries can be directed to Chuck Keeling, Executive Vice President, Stakeholder Relations and Responsible Gaming. He can be reached at 778-874-4942. Before we begin, I must caution all listeners that this conference call may contain forward-looking statements that reflect management's expectations regarding the company's future. These statements, which will be identified by words such as anticipate, believe, accept, or similar expressions are based on information currently available to the company. Investors should not place undue reliance upon these statements, which involve significant risk, uncertainties, and assumptions. These statements are made as of this call, and the company assumes no obligation to update or revise them to reflect new events or circumstances. Unless otherwise indicated, all financial information in this call is presented in Canadian dollars and is in accordance with International Financial Reporting Standards, or IFRS. Except for adjusted EBITDA and free cash flow, which are non-IFRS terms defined in the company's MD&A. Unless otherwise noted, all financial information for the comparative period excludes the financial results of the U.S. region as they have been presented as discontinued operations after Great American Gaming Corporation was sold on June 27, 2019. I will now pass the call to Rod for a review of Great Canadian financial results for the quarter. He will then provide an update on the company's business and outlook. Rod? Thank you, Terrence. Uh, good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I am pleased to begin the conference call with acknowledging last night's announcement that Great Canadian has entered into a definitive agreement to be acquired through funds managed by Apollo Global Management, Inc. Apollo has offered $39 per share in cash, which represents a 59% premium to 30-day VWAP as of November 9, 2020. The transaction will be structured through a plan of arrangement under the Business Corporations Act of British Columbia where the related information circular will soon be available for the special meeting of shareholders to be held on December 23, 2020. Closing of this transaction is expected to occur in the second quarter of 2021. This transaction represents a significant milestone for Great Canadian and crystallizes immediately for our shareholders 
the long-term value of Great Canadian. I'm now going to comment on our current results. The company safely reopened its gaming properties under restricted operating conditions in Ontario and New Brunswick on September 28, 2020 and Nova Scotia on October 5, 2020, allowing us to bring back a small complement of team members in these provinces. The health and safety of our team members and our guests remain our first priority. Accordingly, we will continue to follow the direction of provincial governments and local health authorities, which can fluctuate rapidly and will require the company to adjust the operating environment of its sites in the future as conditions evolve. This may also include mandated temporary resuspensions like those we experienced with some of our properties, such as Casino Woodbine and Casino New Brunswick, which temporarily closed again on October 9, 2020, with Casino New Brunswick reopened again on October 23, 2020. We anticipate continued volatility with the opening and closing of select properties as the mandates of the provincial health authorities evolve. The temporary suspension of all of the company's gaming facilities for almost the entire third quarter resulted in decreases in revenues, expenses, adjusted EBITDA, shareholders' net earnings, free cash flow, and total cash flows when compared to the same period in the prior year. As a result of the temporary suspension of operations, we have placed a focus on monitoring our free cash flow and additional IFRS measure. During the third quarter of 2020, the company had negative free cash flow of $54.8 million, which was primarily due to $62.2 million in capital expenditures related to our capital developments in Ontario. Negative free cash flow for the third quarter of 2020 was an improvement from negative free cash flow of $123.4 million in the second quarter of 2020, which included capital expenditures of $98.6 million. This negative free cash flow was funded with borrowings from the company's credit facilities and the remaining from available cash balances. Since the start of the temporary suspension period on March 16, 2020, we have worked on managing our working capital down to a level that reflects our current state of operations. In the second quarter of 2020, our negative working capital change reflected the unwinding of payables balances from the pre-closure period. With these expenses now settled, our payable balances remain steady over the third quarter of 2020. The company took measures to significantly reduce its operating expenses to mitigate the decline in revenues during the temporary suspension period. In the third quarter of 2020, approximately half of the human resource expenses consisted of costs relating to remaining personnel required to support the business during the temporary suspension period net of eligible government assistance, and the remaining half consisted of the continuation of employer paid benefits, primarily for team members on temporary suspension. Over half of the property marketing and administration expenses were related to direct property operating costs, including property taxes, insurance, utilities, and maintenance, with the remainder related to administrative costs, including license subscriptions and professional fees. In conjunction with the reopening of our Ontario gaming properties, we entered into amended casino operating service agreements or COSA agreements with the Ontario Lottery and Gaming Corporation that allows each bundle to operate under an interim compensation model 
that is intended to compensate the company for its services over the duration of the pandemic and a period of subsequent ramp-up of operations. During this period, the interim fee arrangement includes the customary-based fixed-fee payments and an additional variable component fee based on a fixed percentage of gross gaming revenue. The fixed percentage is unique to each bundle and is similar to the historical percentage of gross gaming revenue earned by each bundle prior to the closure. The interim fee arrangement will continue in effect for 36 months plus the period of time in which the 50 guest maximum restriction and any required temporary resuspensions are in place or earlier if gross gaming revenues exceed agreed performance targets that reflect pre-pandemic revenue levels. Upon the termination of the interim fee arrangement, the historical cost of compensation models applicable to each gaming bundle will apply. Despite the impact that the pandemic has had on our construction projects, we continue to move forward with our GTA capital development programs, primarily our Pickering Casino Resort and Casino Woodbine Integrated Resort Developments, which will be primarily funded by our capital expenditures credit facility. We continue to assess the timing for the launch of these developments. However, we do not anticipate any impact to our total planned capital spend. As we continue to incur the expenditures related to these development programs, we are encouraged by the partial reopening of our gaming facilities, which will assist us in improving our cash flow profile for the remainder of 2020 and beyond, subject to our gaming properties remaining open. Great Canadian remains proactive in maintaining its capital structure while minimizing cash outflows and taking measures to reduce operating expenses as appropriate. As at September 30th, 2020, Great Canadian continues to remain in stable capital and liquidity positions with cash balance of $471.9 million and $1,062,000,000 uh, of available undrawn credit on its credit facilities subject to applicable covenants. The company has entered into agreements with its lenders to temporarily waive compliance with its financial and operational covenants under certain of its credit facilities. As at September 30, 2020, we were in compliance with all applicable covenants. We are currently in preliminary discussions to extend our waiver period with our banking partners who continue to provide ongoing support to our business. With our properties in Ontario and Atlantic now partially reopened, we continue to closely monitor results to obtain a better understanding of our near-term financial outlook. Based on preliminary results after opening, Ontario's positive adjusted EBITDA has incrementally increased, while the Atlantic's adjusted EBITDA has improved to approximately a break-even level. As restrictions slowly get lifted over time, we will also be able to bring back additional team members that unfortunately remain temporarily suspended. We thank these team members for their perseverance and patience during this challenging time and look forward to welcoming them back soon. Terence, we can now invite questions. Thank you. Thanks, Raj. And before we begin today's question and answer session, I would like to remind everyone that questions will be reserved for institutional investors and analysts. 
I would also like to reiterate the company's investor relations philosophy, which encourages investors and analysts to utilize this public conference call as their principal medium for speaking with great Canadian senior management. Chris, we can now go to the Q&A. Thanks. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You will hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request, and your questions will be polled in the order they are received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by two. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. Your first question comes from Sabahat Khan, RBC Capital Markets. Sabahat, please go ahead. Hi, thanks and good morning. Um, just morning, on the announcement, good morning. Uh, just on the announcement from last night, are you able to share uh, whether there was maybe a process run or this was an inbound offer? Just trying to get an understanding of kind of how the offer came to be. Uh, sure, I can give you a little bit of color on that. Uh, this was uh, an unsolicited approach to the company that uh, the board and management uh, felt was credible and obviously the party is extremely uh, credible and first class uh, and then in light of that approach and uh, frankly uh, the appropriate fiduciary duty and obligations of the board in addition to I believe our company always doing the right thing for shareholders we uh, determined that it was credible and it uh, was determined to pursue it to see if it could end up in an appropriate uh, offer being uh, developed for shareholders. Uh, and fast forward over a few uh, very intensive months, uh, that has brought us uh, to the resolution that we announced last evening. Okay, so I guess, I guess could we surmise from that that maybe there weren't any other offers at this point or this was maybe the best offer you kind of saw out there? Uh, based on, uh, I guess, our discussions. So uh, we we did not run uh, in order to develop this opportunity a uh, larger process uh, involving other participants uh, at this point in time. I would tell you without getting into details that uh, over the past number of years, we have had uh, other interactions with parties uh, that have not resulted in a press release like last night. Uh, so this is not the first go-round for Great Canadian and your current management team and board. But in terms of this last finite period of time, uh, this was a proactive outreach uh, by the Apollo Group uh, that we worked with to develop this opportunity, which, which if you ask me about it, uh, I'd love to give you my own view as the CEO and uh, uh, a member of the board for the past uh, 10 plus years, in addition to the fairness opinions from, from the two advisors. Uh, we think this is a very, very uh, great financial opportunity for shareholders that uh, fully reflects the long-term prospects of great Canadian. Uh, obviously, we're in a very, very difficult period of time right now. Uh, but this is a very, very strong offer and reflects, we think, uh, all of the potential of the business, uh, obviously factoring in uh, what's going to be a very difficult and uncertain period for some amount of time here. Okay, so just maybe uh, following up on that and maybe giving you an opportunity to uh, elaborate a little bit on that. I guess maybe if you can share some color on 
how you sort of, you know, negotiated to this $39 share price. I guess obviously it's a very, you know, uncertain backdrop and a lot has changed. We're just trying to get an understanding of, um, you know, how you guys sort of arrived at this price. And yeah, if you could maybe share some clear thoughts on that. So I, I, I can't get into the details. I can tell you that the board in an appropriate fashion struck uh, a special committee of independent directors, which did not include myself. Uh, it included all of the other directors, and they worked uh, uh, intimately and supported by management uh, in information sharing and discussions to get to uh, where we got to today. I would tell you, and I don't want to get into details, and it's not appropriate to get into details because it's the outcome that is, I think, relevant uh, for shareholders, that this was a, a process that involved uh, significant interactions and negotiations uh, to get to what I personally believe and in my role as CEO and uh, a member of the board, a very uh, strong uh, and, and appropriate representation of full value for shareholders for uh, Great Canadian. Okay, and, you know, perfect. all the other nuances in terms of who did what and how it went and all that kind of stuff, I actually think it would be inappropriate for me to speak on behalf of the special committee in those respects publicly at this point in time. Okay, great. And then, you know, one of the questions that we've been getting is just, you know, you've been involved with the company for quite some time. Just anything you can share on, you know, whether if this offer does, you know, close and there's a transaction, you know, do you kind of continue to remain involved? What is sort of your involvement in kind of a future entity? I think folks are just trying to get an understanding of, you know, whether you'd be sort of, you know, involved in a future entity, any financial alignment, you know, what is sort of, you know, your involvement kind of once the deal closed, do you continue to run it? Are you, do you continue to maintain your ownership or something? I, I, I totally get the question and it's an extremely fair question. And I think it's important that shareholders understand this because in these situations, sometimes it looks like there's a third party that's coming in, but management uh, have some role, direct or indirect, or are offered some kind of opportunity. Uh, I'm, uh, I want to be very clear uh, that no one in management, including me, have had any conversations whatsoever with Apollo in terms of our future. We're not a part of their bid. We haven't, nobody has come to us and set, promised anything. Uh, we remain uh, working at the pleasure of shareholders, and our shareholders are all the people that are listening to us right now, and we have been singularly focused on representing our shareholders as very best we can uh, in this process, as we've tried to do in all respects of running their business for them since I've been around, and rest assured uh, that our focus has been uh, singularly on the great Canadian side of things, and I think that is frankly the most appropriate thing for shareholders. So, you know, in the future after closing, whether, uh, for instance, I'm CEO or, or not, or have another role or not, uh, frankly, that will be up to uh, the shareholder at that point in time. And I have zero visibility on that as there have been no conversations whatsoever on how that might potentially uh, work under that scenario. And I think that's what's appropriate in the circumstance and shareholders should be understanding of that fact. Uh, that's great, color. I really appreciate that. Um, and then maybe I'll start to just wrap up with a question on just the, I guess, day-to-day -day business. 
Um, I guess it looks like, you know, you continue to spend quite a bit on CapEx. And given how things have evolved between sort of Q2 and Q3, um, you know, normal course operations, how are you thinking about CapEx and the pace of CapEx? You know, should we assume that there's a call it one to two quarter delay based on COVID and then now you're sort of back on track? How are you thinking about the rollout of CapEx now? So I think as we've mentioned, even starting last quarter, uh, you know, in a period where we were uh, pre-COVID going to generate hundreds of millions of dollars of EBITDA and free cash flow in order to uh, fully support our capital program, we've been faced with a negative, significant negative cash flow environment. So the delta between the two have been very extreme thus far this year. Uh, And if for all of you that are aware of our operations and the provinces where we are domiciled uh, although COVID will improve at some point in time uh, it's actually uh, in in a more difficult trending environment right now Uh, and look Pfizer was announced I I get all of that and I think so there's some good medium-term prospects for the world and us that being said we are going to have this, as I mentioned in my prepared remarks, very modest operations and very uncertain influx operations for quite some time here. Uh, it, and and so uh, in light of that, we have continued with our projects, but as we've mentioned, we've reduced our capital programs uh, and we are still considering those time frames whereby we feel we may be in a position uh, to get back to a more normal development timeline. So those are still uncertain and it would be, frankly, I think almost reckless of us to message or believe at this point in time that we are understanding of how things will be evolving, uh, frankly, well into 2021. So I don't have a very good answer for you other than we're watching it every day and we're trying to live within our means and appropriately continue to move things forward uh, it, 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 with the right balance that makes sense for the very difficult operating environment that we continue to find ourselves in. Okay, and thanks for that. If I could just maybe just squeeze in one last one. Um, I forgot to ask this earlier, but we obviously have a 50% partner on the GTA bundle and presumably maybe they've likely given some heads up on this given the nature of the transaction. Um, is there an indication, I guess, would they, they're a JV partner, I guess, do they just continue to remain involved with the GTA asset regardless of who owns the equity? So, you know, we have a partner there. Uh, for sure, we also have another partner. This is a transaction at the Great Canadian level. So everything below the Great Canadian level remains as is. Perfect. And Sabahad, you, yeah. you, sorry, you have one more question uh, because I read your note from last night. I just wanted to clarify uh, in the joint release uh, with Apollo, there was a mention that you referred to in your note, and I just wanted to clarify things because I think it could it could cause uh, uh, some misunderstanding. There was some commentary from Apollo being a global first class uh, alternative asset or investment manager about. Uh, after the transaction closes, there may be other uh, investors brought into uh, their fold, and you link that up to our 
current public shareholders, I think that's an erroneous link-up. Uh, the reference in the press release was being uh, a global uh, alternative investment manager. They have very uh, deep and significant LP investors and relationships domiciled in all countries. I believe they have some in Canada as well. And on uh, many of their transactions, they not only invest directly in uh, private equity uh, opportunities through their funds directly, but they also invite LPs to come in and invest directly as well. So I believe that reference that they made in the release was to their existing LPs and not our public company shareholders, as I believe you may have potentially inferred in your note last night. So I wanted to make clear that uh, there has been no outreach from them to any of our shareholders. They've been under an NDA, and, that's not that, and that is not what was contemplated in the release last night. Okay, no, I appreciate that, color. Yeah, I, I read that as perhaps um, taking the current, some of the current holders and having them be partners in the project. I guess based on your commentary, this implies that if this transaction closes and this is a private entity, other private investors or their partners or LPs, as you mentioned, could at that point then get involved as owners. Is that right? Correct. Okay. Thanks, Rod. I really appreciate all yeah, the color. No Thank problem. You. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from Derek DeLay, Canaccord. Derek, please go ahead. Yeah. Hi, hi Rod, and congrats on the transaction. I just wanted to follow up on that last one. So, you know, with Within Great Canadian, obviously you do have some bundle partners, including a meaningful one on the GTA. Was there like was there a consultation process with uh, with that partner as it relates to this transaction? So, as I mentioned, and I want to be clear, this is a transaction at the Great Canadian level. We have all of our documents and, and governance, and uh, our operating role in uh, all of our bundles, including the two bundles where we have other partners, and uh, this doesn't impact any of that. Okay. Um, can you just uh, maybe walk us through sort of the timeline and, and the next steps for closing this transaction? I believe you mentioned Q2 with a shareholder vote in December and some regulatory approvals, but maybe a little bit more uh, detail on that would be helpful. Yes. Yeah, so, so this is a plan of arrangement. So it's, it's going to be a shareholder vote and a special meeting will be called. Uh, if you go on CDAR, you'll actually see the computer share last night uh, posted it uh, with a record date uh, of November 17th and uh, a meeting date of December 23rd. So we are beavering away on developing uh, a circular for that meeting, which will uh, obviously expand more fully on the process to date to how we got here. So. You know, I didn't want to get ahead of things in too much right now verbally because the lawyers are, are drafting that appropriately. So all shareholders uh, within the next two weeks will be receiving uh, the full circular on this transaction uh, that has, uh, you know, the, the history and the build-up to it and the particulars as well as uh, the appropriate fairness opinions from both Scotia and CIBC. Uh, and that will lead up to the, the shareholder vote on December 23rd. And then uh, we have uh, numerous approvals. There are the non-gaming specific ones like investment 
Canada and Competitions uh, Bureau, uh, which we don't foresee there being uh, any challenges. And then we've got our regular uh, gaming uh, approvals as well, which frankly, we don't uh, foresee there being any challenges as well. Uh, obviously, uh, Apollo is a first class global well-known organization. And in addition to that, and, and, and in particular, they have a very deep experience and knowledge and understanding of gaming and regulatory processes involving uh, gaming, uh, including, and maybe it's not a good thing to bring up, but they do have some prior involvement through a former investee company uh, in Ontario. So they've already been through the process in certain respects, at, at least in Ontario. So they get it and understand it. So we have that process as every participant in gaming in all jurisdictions needs to go through the regulatory approval process, including me and every single one of our employees, let alone organizations. So that process uh, will take a bit of time, but it is our current expectations that we should be through and have secured all of those processes at some point in uh, Q2 of 2021, realizing that it's uh, difficult to have a crystal ball to pin down uh, an exact date at this point in time. But I don't foresee any challenges uh, other than uh, the regular process and time that is involved for all parties to uh, appropriately conduct the work that they need to do. Okay, thank you very much. Okay, thank you, Derek. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. As a reminder, should you have a question, please press star one on your touchtone phone. Your next question comes from Sanjay Sen, Bloomberg. Sanjay, please go ahead. Rod, this is a terrible and ridiculous deal. It is taking billions of dollars of shareholder value, long-term shareholder value, in a Canadian-controlled monopoly and giving it to foreigners. You, you cannot have a company which is this cheap, which earned $4 of free cash flow in 2019, which has enormous growth potential ahead, through Woodbine and Pickering. Pickering is already complete, so there's nothing to do other than unlock it. So there's enormous growth potential ahead. That $4 earning power is materially higher. Um, it's a monopoly on one of the fastest growing by population cities in North America. No other city can have a gaming monopoly like that. We have that. You know all this. This is why you spent $350 million in 2018 and 2019 buying back the stock at above $45, and you are going to buy back half a billion at north of $39, so $45 this year. So now you're proposing to sell this business to these foreigners for $39. Um, you knew this. You know the value. We don't understand why you want to sell the company at such a depressed price when COVID is a once-in-a-100-year storm Bloomberg Sen owns 14% of this company and will be not voting in support of it. We will vote against this transaction. The equity value of the business has not been hurt. GC isn't burning much cash. We've turned the corner. Pfizer has the vaccine. Eli Lilly's antibody treatments have been authorized. The U.S. regional casinos, which are open, are making more money today than they were a year ago. COVID is a natural disaster which struck this company a once-in-a-hundred-year storm, and it is going. And this stock is worth over $100 in a few years' time, and we need to hold on for that. You yourself said on the May 5th conference call 
this is a tremendous and unique franchise. So we don't understand how this board and this management can propose giving away this asset when they were approached by Apollo at the bottom of the market without running any kind of auction and without saying, we don't need you guys. We can run this business for the long term and create loads of shareholder value that way. Can you talk about that? Sure, Sanjay. I'm happy to. Uh, I'm the same person that I think you've known since I've been here. And my entire and singular focus has been on creating shareholder value for all shareholders, including uh, you, as I believe you know. And frankly, uh, that hasn't changed. And that hasn't changed through the representation of this offer that's on the table, which is a very good offer. I, I totally understand. And you sound appropriate, you know, upset and you have your views on that. And uh, I, I, I can understand that. And thank you very much for sharing them. Uh, there, there are, there's a lot of things that have transpired for sure. And some are short term and then there's the long term. And I did speak to the long term of the business and look, we have good assets and that's one of the reasons why somebody is very interested in buying our business for the very long term. Uh, and, and I understand your position on this. And uh, I think this is a spectacular offer for shareholders. And I know you think, as you said, $100 in a bunch of years and whatnot. So I heard that. I think you're un misunderstanding the delta on not only what has occurred over the short period here, but I think there's many things that are not fully understood uh, in terms of our capital program, the money that's going in and the incremental EBITDA lifts that this business can potentially generate in the future. As we, uh, in the earlier years of Ontario, as an example, and I think you're well aware of this, we were very fortuitous and, and lucky and some good execution. We were able to turn on some uh, a very significant incremental business activity, particularly at places like Woodbine, but others as well, with table games within seven months of closing and uh, 5,000 slot machines instead of, you know, 3,500 with a bunch of them that were uh, down a lot of the time. And, and frankly, we're able to create very significant lifts in gaming revenues at a point in time when we were able through our threshold commitments to uh, more fully participate in the sharing of the GGR in those early days. Unfortunately, as you go further and there's been much uh, conversation and discussion around thresholds in the future and the uh, several billion dollar capital program that had to be invested post those early days when we generated those very significant returns based on very little capital in the early days, we had the very significant commitments to build out these assets, which we are in the process of, as you are well aware of. And frankly, I know you've made commentary in the past about the huge lift we're gonna get on the capital because we're smart capital providers and so we're gonna make a bunch more EBITDA on those incremental up to $2 billion of capital. 
And frankly, uh, that was a little bit erroneous because a lot of the return has already been generated. So it's a disproportionately lower return on the future of that capital. And so I understand what you're saying. I don't think you've had uh, the best understanding and are not at all uh, understanding the risk adjustments of the business and the uh, future. And when you look at all of it, including many, many other factors, uh, and there are many other factors, and I don't want to, frankly, cause consternation for shareholders because every business, as we all know, has many things that they're working on at any particular point in time that are very good, uh, you you know, maybe neutral, and some that are narrow but deep holes or or difficult to deal with. Uh, There's a there's a confluence of all of those. And so I'm disappointed uh, that you have this view and it sounds, it's emotional and, and I, actually I feel terrible about that on a personal level, but rest assured your board and management have done this in a very thoughtful and professional and fiduciarily appropriate fashion with nothing at all in this for me personally or the board other than doing what is absolutely the right thing for shareholders, not only at this point in time, but fully factoring in all of the potential for your business. And that's why this has been brought forward. This is not a sellout on the cheap to some Americans. In fact, if you know me, I would not sell it to anybody. Karen Stoyle wouldn't sell it to anybody. And our board would definitely not sell it to anybody. And we've always run our business for the long term, for the marathon, and never put our balance sheet into position where we've been forced to do something that we otherwise wouldn't want to do because it wasn't in shareholders' interest. And we have not done that in this circumstance. We don't have to do this deal, but this deal is being brought forward because it's the absolute right thing for shareholders. And frankly, you and the others should take this. Rod, if, if that is all true, that the earnings power of the business had come with a big leap up front and there was very little else coming, explain this to me. You told me once that when you make an investment, you don't do it for percentages, you do it for multiples. One, two, three, triples. So when you were buying back $900 million worth of stock at $45, you were not expecting a $50 stock. You were thinking it was a $100 stock. So if you honestly believed that there was no further big lift in EBITDA, why were you buying back a stock at $45 for $900 million when you knew it was worth $39? First of all, Sanjay, I've never said 100. I've never said anything to you about any stock price ever, just to be clear. When I'm talking about stock price, I'm talking about investments. And secondly, when you have a balance sheet and you're trading at reasonable value and you've got the liquidity and you can buy back accretively over time, which we've done for many years, uh, and you can afford it, and it's the right thing to do as a use of, of extra liquidity, that you go and do that. And look, I didn't say there was no uplift. I said, we have a journey of multiple billions of dollars and things going on. And look, if it's a surprise to you or anybody that we made transactions and delivered very significant, very significant triple the size of the company while putting $32 million of equity in these entities, and that was it. And, and, and there was healthy, healthy conversations about it was a competitive process, and the OLG at all are going to give this all away. I mean, this is it, – it, I think it was very, very understood that this wasn't 
transaction that was going to be too good to be true and then to extrapolate it forward from there. Okay. Well, just to reiterate, we will be voting our 14% against the deal, like I'm sure many others will. Okay. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I have to tell you on behalf of uh, the corporation, I'm, I'm disappointed to hear that. And I'm disappointed that you're viewing this opportunity, which I think is a very good opportunity for shareholders negatively. And I'm clearly, if shareholders are doing that, then from my perspective, that's a clear vote that uh, I'm not doing my job properly for shareholders. So that will well, be taken under advisement as well. But can be if if you want if you want to do another job, I'm sure we can find someone else to run the company. No, no, I, I understand that, Sandy. I'm just saying, I, all that I've ever done, frankly, has been to try and uh, do my best for shareholders. And if that's not happening, then I think the shareholders should be heard on that. So I, sure. I'm, yeah. I have and when, that. when this process is over, I'm sure we all will be. And, uh, and then we will have a management which maximizes shareholder value. Hey, thank you for your comments, Sanjay. I appreciate them. Thank you. Your next question comes from Eli Samaha, Madison Ave Partners. Eli, please go ahead. Hi, this is Eli. Um, I agree with everything Sanjay just said. We own over 2.3 million shares. I think you should have run a process. And I think this transaction materially undervalues the company, and we have no intention of voting for it. That's it. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from Chris Colvin, Breach Inlet Capital. Chris, please go ahead. Yes, yeah, somewhat uh, or completely echoing the prior comments. Uh, to reiterate, uh, I have never heard of a public company not running an auction process after receiving an unsolicited bid. That's point number one. Point number two, you are selling this, or Apollo's bid implies six and a half times fiscal 19 EBITDA when you deduct release payments. U.S. companies without monopolies, much weaker barriers to entry, and slower growth trade for 10 to 15 times. That implies a great Canadian is worth $70 to $110 per share. Third, as also echoed by Sanjay, you attempted to buy half a billion dollars or 20% of the company at up to $46 per share just nine months ago. And the fourth comment, I guess I would be very curious to hear when Apollo approached you, because just three months ago you had the last earnings call. And I think anyone that listened to that call will say that the commentary was certainly not positive, hence the stock fell from 30 to about $24. So I think shareholders need to know when Apollo approached you in the context of that earnings call. So my firm has been a long-term shareholder. This is a material portion of our fund, and we will also be vo voting against this awful deal. Okay. So uh, I don't know if you, there was any questions there or not. Uh, but it was after the call in terms of when we were approached. And it will come out in the circular, but we did run a full process within the past two years to sell this business. So, uh, and that will come out as well in the circular. You said earlier that you did not run a process after receiving this bid. Correct. We did not run a process in the last two months, but we ran a process, a full process, a global process, within the past two years, frankly, off of those very good early results that I mentioned to Sanjay, because we felt uh, with that kind of velocity at that point in time, that if we were able 
to uh, attract somebody on that basis that would very much be in shareholders' best interest, and nobody showed up to the party. Nobody. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. As a reminder, should you have a question, please press star 1 on your touchtone phone. There are no further questions at this time. Please proceed. Thanks, Chris, and thanks everyone for your participation this morning. Before we conclude, I would like to remind listeners that forward-looking statements were made during this call. For those who joined Midway, I encourage you to listen to the replay of this call to hear my earlier comments regarding these forward-looking statements. This replay will be available through the investor relations sections of our website at www.gcgaming.com. This concludes our call. Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.